This is an RNZ podcast. One of the government's hopes is that a bigger budget for RNZ will make RNZ national more truly national again. And that's a recognition of the fact that beyond its Auckland and Wellington headquarters and smaller bureau in Christchurch and Hamilton, RNZ News only has a presence in a handful of other places these days. Now, other mainstream media companies have also cut back in the regions over recent decades, which led to the creation of the publicly funded Local Democracy Reporting Scheme back in 2019. Now, this is run by RNZ, and it covers the cost of reporters in 14 places in local newsrooms around the country, which might otherwise struggle to employ journalists to cover significant local and civic issues. Since 2020, it's been funded through the Public Interest Journalism Fund, a three-year initiative which just this week announced its final grants of public money. And among them was funding for journalism jobs in Waikato, Marlborough, Bay of Plenty, Coromandel, Tairawhiti, Otago, and even some local Auckland communities. But with the Public Interest Journalism Fund now out of time and money, the long-term future of all these regional jobs isn't known. Well, this week, adverts appeared online seeking expressions of interest from reporters in regional New Zealand, but advertising the sorts of salaries that those in the big towns and cities might expect. Pay rates for senior journalists will be in the $90,000 to $120,000 range, while juniors, they say, will be paid $50,000 to $70,000, along with an employee share scheme, a company car and other benefits. And all that according to the ads for the new regional news network. Now, if that name means nothing to you, well, that's no surprise. The regional news network is a startup that's just now starting up, but which has plans to be based in 17 locations, with a senior and a junior journalist in each one, all backed up from a head office in Queenstown and a technical and sales staff headquarters in Auckland. Now, coincidentally, something similar but bigger kicked off in Australia in 2021, news.net.au, with this pitch to its potential clients. Over 1,300 news websites across Australia delivering a comprehensive coverage that no other media can compete with. One simple media buy where you can reach nearly every city coast to coast and everywhere in between. News.net is making a special offer to a limited number of international, national, state and local foundation advertisers who have the foresight to seize this great potential and rare opportunity. Now, Newsnet.au had some great people involved at the start, and it hired others, but it didn't have enough backing or technical skills and resources to ever fully launch. Well, the business brain behind the new regional news network here is Tim Martin, the former founder of sports streaming services Rugby Pass and Coliseum, and more recently, but just briefly in 2022, the chief executive at the NBR. And the founder and chief editor of the proposed network is Peter Newport, formerly a journalist for several New Zealand news organisations, before he set up his own multimedia news service called Crux in Queenstown back in 2018 to cover news and issues in the Southern Lakes region. Crux has been an experiment to see if there's an appetite in a market for what you might call robust news. I think there's been a tendency all over the world for local news to become quite cautious in the sense that you can't bite the hand that feeds you. So in a local community, unlike a national media situation, and what tends to happen with community media and newspapers in particular is they tend to adopt something of a community stance. So there isn't much holding of power to account when journalists start, the pay in the regions has been pretty poor, so they have the good ones migrate to the cities for, for more pay. So what we've tried to do with Crux is prove that um, holding power to account is, 
even more important in the regions than it is in urban areas. Uh, Crux has worked in the sense that we're now the biggest source of online news, but what we haven't achieved is economies of scale. And in today's media landscape, things are so bad, they're so serious, that we've now discovered that it's only by networking the Crux model that it's going to be sustainable. There's already been a recognition that uh, the previous media models have failed to keep up adequate staffing. There we have the local democracy reporting service. What you're proposing here, would it in fact cross over with what the LDR service is doing? No, I think it's complementary to LDR. I think, in fact, it's almost the meeting of two projects that were made for each other. It's been able to recruit what I would call mid-career journalists on salaries that are mid-market. We've discovered in the regions the obstacles to getting information are so severe. I mean, we're outnumbered eight to one by public relations and comms people. It's taken us four years to get near the truth with our local council. You're talking about specifically the Southern Lakes area? The Queenstown Lakes District Council. I mean, our, our battle to get information out of them. So we think what the regional news network will bring to the party is scale and gravitas uh, mixed with the ethos of the local democracy reporting project so that journalists, to put it crudely, have more strength, uh, better paid, and they have more resources to keep going at these organisations that simply are not used to being held to account and being asked the tough questions. So you want to set up a national network of outfits like Crux in how many locations around the country? What's your ambition? 17. We've worked it out um, working with PwC in Auckland. They've done some very advanced modelling, looking at how the money moves uh, and testing it quite ruthlessly to see if... And the 17 locations are designed to provide 17 hyper-local platforms like Crux, so nothing in Wellington, nothing in Auckland, nothing in Christchurch. But a senior journalist in each location, very high pay. That's important. Journalists have been underpaid for decades, so our model includes high pay for a senior journalist who in effect becomes an editor. They're not answerable to us as, if you like, the bosses. Uh, they are running their own publication. A junior journalist on around 60,000, which again is well above market, and a salesperson. So broadly speaking, that hub uh, costs around $390,000, which is about as cheap, we think, as you can get a viable hyperlocal news platform. All the technology, of course, is centralised. Um, the sales are centralised. Um, But those journalists will be producing 40 to 60 stories a day, some of which will only be of interest locally, some of which will be of interest nationally to other regions. Uh, But we think people who live in Wellington, Christchurch and Auckland will also be interested in reading those stories. Well, Tim, Um, if I could turn to you. So you've got a track record of uh, online media entrepreneurship, let's put it that way. But things like, say, Coliseum or Rugby Pass, I mean, those are attractive areas uh, to elite sports uh, where you'd have a national audience to, to try and, oh, of course, you've got big competitors in those markets. But uh, this is a very different proposition, isn't it? Isn't this essentially something where established local media companies like the newspaper chains are struggling to keep going and to employ adequate journalists and do the coverage? I mean, what makes you think that doing this online, uh, you can do this with what Peter's describing, high pay, recruiting good good journalists and and actually feeding a network of of stories that will be nationally significant? I think news, I think that is a really uh, strong product in New Zealand. It's probably a stronger product than rugby uh, with more potential. Bigger than rugby, big call in New Zealand to market, that's good. I think the right sort of news is. Um, It's certainly got a broader reach because if things aren't working 
you know, private sector money is withdrawn, quality of journalism decreases, you're into a vicious spiral. Strong and independent journalism is a very, you know, it's a pillar of democracy. National or competing newspaper companies right now, let's call them newspaper companies, but online media operations as well, say NZME, with papers in the North Island and then a national audience for its herald.co.nz uh, and that of course allied to all its radio properties and the other content from that. Then we've got Stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I guess the biggest by some distance truly national perhaps our only truly national news country with journalists mm-hmm. up and down the entire country even RNZ can't really boast that even though we're a national uh, journalism operation um, and so online those two brands are huge they've got massive audiences. Isn't it going to be difficult for yes, a, a new network to, to undercut that, particularly if they don't have a presence in the metropolitan areas where a lot of news yeah, obviously look, still it's, comes it's, from. If this isn't a home run hit, lay down, Mazir sort of play, there's work to be done. The key to it is uh, hyperlocal journalism is underserved in the regions. We've built a business model that looks to be sustainable financially, and that's really the critical element. Journalism can only you know, improve and be better funded and journalists can, can get paid more when you've got a sustainable business money. So you need a business that actually makes money. We can build a business that is complementary to the ones that exist. I don't see us as anything like competitors to NZME. I think they've got a business that they've done an amazing job turning around and really sort of taking forward uh, with some really clear, clear strengths that are in other areas. So I think this is there is a bit of a gap for this kind of product. If you think about New Zealand's economy, 90% of the products that we sell overseas, so 90% of our exports are from the regions. It's actually the regions that make all the money for New Zealand. You know, Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch, we're just big consumption centres. Just suck it all up. But, you know, we sell money, we sell tourism, you know, we sell apples, you know, we sell fish, we sell milk, we sell cheese... That's what New Zealand's economy is about. That's the regions. That's where those stories are happening. And I don't accept for a second regional news as anything but the most important news in the country. And Peter, if I turn to you, I know you've been having meetings with government politicians, opposition politicians, government departments and ministries that have a relevant interest. How much depends upon their support and, you know, to be blunt, persuading the powers that be that the public purse needs to come into play here? Because as we know, in recent times, the government has acknowledged that the public media is more than just publicly owned media and uh, that the public purse has a role to play. Does this project depend upon that? Government funding of journalism became very controversial because of just the way PIGF was perceived. And I think that's caused extraordinary pain for the government. They're, they feel that they were misunderstood. And the, the, the impression we're getting is they're not going to do anything like PIGF again anytime soon. Uh, we're also looking at the wreckage of the merger. Um, we're recognising with government that the problems that the merger was designed to address are still there. Mm-hmm. They're not solved. Uh, we talked to Meta and we talked to Google and they themselves are quite distressed. You know, they've just, I think, recently announced another ten or 12,000 redundancies. So I think the answer to your question is that uh, government need to do something to reassure the public public funding is there, 
But the public, because of PIGF, is suspicious of handouts and suspicious of strings being attached. So I think what this project um, provides for government is the opportunity to back journalism without those strings being attached. Are you putting to them a particular proposal that says, how about you kick in this much, we'll raise this much from commercial partners? Is that the nature of the pitch, that you actually want them to commit to providing some sort of guarantee of funding for some sort of term in order to get it off the ground? We're going first. We think private investment is is there. We think the five revenue streams are important. But there's a role to play for government. There's no doubt about that. It feels like we're pushing it at open door in the sense that everybody recognises that democracy depends on journalism. Government has a role to play. But it's avoiding those strings. It's avoiding those things that can be misconstrued by the public as being government interference. And so I think the model that we're still in talks about will avoid those issues. Okay, so the five revenue streams you talked about there. Yes. Okay. So advertising, uh, love it or hate it, Mm -hmm. we think it's likely that we'll continue to refuse to accept council advertising. Beyond that, uh, our model is for local salespeople to be selling local advertising. Um, We also have a national ability to uh, take national products like cars or banks to to the regions. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we think readers uh, do want to support journalism, but it's not big bucks. You know, public do want to help, but we can't rely on it. It's just one of five. Mm -hmm. Uh, We think that Meta and Google will have a role to play, but their position at the moment is that they're suffering. I don't think that's going to be an easy negotiation. It's going to be sort of down to the wire. But we do expect some progress. And, of course, Google's showcase product we're already part of. We actually think that there's room for us to share our content, looking at some revenue from our output being licensed to a national platform. In addition to that, we think there will be some government funding. And whatever uh, arrangement we come to in terms of supporting the launch of our platform, uh, we think will be part of the new day-to-day funding. It sounds like that may end up back with New Zealand On Air. So that's the way we see the chess pieces coming together at the moment. Okay. And Tim, is this uh, something that you will be actively uh, pitching to commercial clients in order to raise the capital to get this? I think uh, this so. I, yeah, I will. I, you know, we have to present a business case that delivers a good return on investment for any investor. But not, not as, say, sponsors as well or something like no, that? No, not as sponsors. <laughs> I think so. sustainability is fundamental, so it's around forever and can grow. You know, it needs to make money. I mean, that's the... That's the that's how we can, you know, pay and grow the journalism base in the country is, you know, profit. Uh, therefore, you know, money can be reinvested. So it will be an expensive operation. So will these be. will have to be investors who are prepared to, I guess, not expect a return for a little bit of time, yeah, at least until things get so. no, something. This is a long term business play. This is, you know, we're not this is there's no quick buck about this. You know, this is this is a project that won't go ahead without the funding. You know, if we cannot raise the money, this isn't the sort of project that you can bootstrap and roll out region by region. It's either a regional news network or it's nothing at all. Okay, so you wouldn't start with just five locations if not. you can't. Okay, all right. And would there be any kind of element of, when we think of other startups like Newsroom or Spinoff, for example, they've had an element within them from the start of working on other content, doing video yes. for other businesses. Would yes. there be any kind of element of that, that you'd want to be a studio perhaps working for other so. clients and I that mean, could be, that wasn't never. a stream Peter mentioned? Yeah, well, you never say never and you don't know where you're going to go and, you know. But uh, I don't think so. I think, you know, it's a 
zero and focus on the news. And I actually believe that's where the money is to be, create something sustainable. I was at dinner the other night with a very good friend who's really good at picking why businesses will fail. <laughs> okay. And uh, he said the exercise you've got to go through is you have to look at every reason why this business will fail. And the bottom line is the biggest risk to this business is that we don't tell good enough stories. We don't tell well, big enough news. Sure, wouldn't the bigger bigger risk to the business be that you already have media companies operating in those regions? You know, say NZME, for example, would have salespeople working perhaps mainly for their radio stations in, say, South Island towns and yeah. cities of scale. So they'll be, if, if you start kicking in, doing well, attracting local advertisers and interest in news stories that they don't have online, those two things together, they will sort of target you, and so might the likes of, of stuff or uh, other commercial well, companies. Well, that's not intimidating to me at all, you know what I mean? Like through all the businesses that I've had up till now, we're always the little fish in the big pond. I think if we just stick to what we're good at and what we're doing that is unique, we'll find a way to exist in the landscape that is complementary to all those guys. I don't think we'd be doing this business if we felt what we're doing is a massive priority for any one of those big media companies. We're not going to succeed. I mean, to your point, if we're fighting on a daily basis, NZME, RNZ and stuff, that's going to be really challenging. What we're setting out to do is cover the sort of areas where we, you know, they haven't prioritized those areas. We think we can make that work on this low-cost, high-volume model. This is a market of 30,000 regional advertisers spending somewhere between five to $10,000 a year. Those are the advertising contracts we need to go and get. Those are the ones, and that is connecting local retailers with a local audience through a local platform. I'll turn to you, Peter. If uh, it works as you hope, you get the backing you need, what might this look like to people around the country? Can they expect, for example, in one of these 17 locations, somewhere there will be a building with uh, your organisation sign on it? Or are we talking about if you get the journalists you want, they'll be working out of their homes, covering news in, in whatever ways they can and getting around the place, um, and there won't be a giant headquarters in Queenstown or elsewhere with a, with a neon sign with the company's name on it? What, what will it look like to people from the outside? But I think there will be a building in Queenstown. We're going to run the news operation from Queenstown. Tim's going to run all of the commercial and strategic side of the business from Auckland. But we're working with an amazing agency, DNA, who've built some of New Zealand's biggest brands. People will notice us. Uh, the, the design for the cars, the design even for polo shirts is great. Even the the little logos that go on microphones have been designed. So it's going to look very fresh, very different. But as Tim says, it, it's not a product that other people are doing. This is very, very high-quality, hyper-local news, right down to street level. It's a very simple name. The agency like it. And this is bringing journalism back to where, in my view, it should be where we are. Respect it. And it's not a popularity contest. You know, we're not in the community to be popular. We're there to do a job. Uh, but what we've discovered with Crux, as long as you can last the distance and stick to your knitting and produce strong journalism, the community loves you. If we can do that, I think we've got a good business on our hands. If we can't do that, well, my mate at dinner was right and this thing's, you know, up in flames because no one needs a version of community newspapers which are relatively soft mm, online. Sure.
But um, you will have to persuade investors, won't you, that it would be some time, given the setup costs you're going to need here, yes. if you employ the sorts of journalists that Peter's been talking about, they are going to have to be yes, patient. Yes, there, there is a pretty ferocious burn rate uh, early. I don't think there's any other way to do it to make it work. You know, you just can't slowly roll out a national network because you're not a national network. If you're not a national network, I don't think you've got a compelling proposition well, Peter, I hesitate to mention this in a way, but you mentioned earlier the government felt a little bruised about that public interest journalism fund and how that fed uh, that perception, or paranoia is another word, about corrupting the media as if public money hadn't been flowing into public media for decades and decades. But anyhow, do you have to factor in at this point, launching any kind of journalism service at this point, that there is a kind of tide of a bit of cynicism or jaundice about the media. I don't think being a journalist has ever been easy. I think these are just a new set of older problems. Ever since journalism first emerged, journalists have been accused of being biased because, of course, if you don't agree with a journalist, you're going to call it bias because people have become armchair experts. They say, this isn't news. You know, it must be a quiet news day if you're covering this nonsense. We just say, well, we're not very interested in the public's opinion about the quality of our journalism because if you don't want to read our stuff, you go and read another media outlet. Mm, you, you see that in the analytics <laughs> for, if you want, yeah. Um, so look, <laughs> the analytics are great. Um, so people do like what we're doing, but yeah, it's a tough time. It's a really tough time, but people love the truth. And if we as journalists work really hard and we don't blink and we just keep doing our job and we absolutely stick to our principles eventually the public will come on our side. And I, I have to say I'm encouraged through our meetings with both uh, the government and the opposition in the sense that they know that what I've just said is true, that good journalism is a fundamental part of democracy. So if you put aside all the arguments about the TVNZ, RNZ merger, all the arguments about Facebook, all the arguments about um, conspiracy theories, ultimately we need to know what's going on and we need to trust that source. And the biggest threat I think we have is from public relations and comms people. <laughs> we can't interview decision makers anymore. In terms of government, though, where is, is it, or, or uh, in, in opposition that you've been speaking to, as you mentioned, I don't expect you to reveal uh, confidential uh, discussions or anything like that. But is their attitude broadly, sounds great, go ahead, you know, and yeah. come back to us when you've proved you can do it? Or are they really encouraging you and say, yes, we, no, we, we want to see this set up. Yeah, no, it's strong. Okay. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I think the failure of the merger means that everybody's looking for something positive. Somebody, somebody, I've had a lot of government meetings throughout my career, but I've never seen such a receptive atmosphere, both with opposition and with government. So I think it's the right thing at the right time. And the regional news network, as Tim's explained, doesn't really threaten the incumbents. It solves a problem. And we need to start to get rid of all of those people out there in the regions who call themselves journalists but who have no experience of journalism. And they're eating the advertising market by publishing media releases that aren't challenged. Mm -hmm. So if there was ever a time to rediscover proper journalism, now's that time. And perhaps finally, Tim, I'll, t I'll turn to you. So uh, let's not be like your mate at dinner, uh, env envisaging all the reasons a business like this might fail, but say it's a roaring success in five or ten years or something. One one example, we've mentioned other uh, startups, albeit not with a regional news focus because there really aren't any of those, but uh, Business Desk was another one. Uh, that has... Um, it's a great story. 
gone through the whole process established itself, uh, had some support from those um, public sources of money um, to employ a few more journalists, and now it's become part of the NZME business empire. Is that an outcome you think is possible for something like this? If uh, if you create a viable regional news network that other media have failed to do, you know, one of them might just say, OK, well, then, and make you an offer. I guess it's possible. Well, the other thing my friend at dinner said is that, you know, the other thing investors are going to be looking for is, one, what's your exit? Mm-hmm. And uh, two, if you don't have an and, an and an exit's tough in New Zealand for a business like this mm-hmm. because there aren't a lot of no template. Well, there's just not a lot of buyers. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You can count the buyers on half of one hand, and so that's not a great market for an exit necessarily. Uh, but all that pressure is taken away uh, if you're profitable. So if you can achieve profit relatively quickly, then. You're, under, you're not spending any money but your own, and the business is sustainable, and you're under no pressure to do anything. So if we can achieve profit and carve a niche out for ourselves with an audience that, um, you know, that exists for the product that we have, then there's no obligation for us to do anything ever. We can just keep going. So 17 locations um, that you've identified, that's a lot. That's, that's a big Network. If you'd asked me to guess at a project like this, I would have picked the number well below that. I mean, for example, I believe commercial radio, when they do their surveys, uh, commercial radio companies, they only really bother surveying, I think, 12 or 13 of the most populous centres, and that probably would include the metro region. So, you know, if you're getting down to 17, you're getting into areas that are relatively small regional centres. Why did you take it down to that level? It's the whole point. Um, The regional news network is designed to reach people who aren't currently properly serviced by strong journalism. Our plan actually is to roll out eight initially with the senior journalists so that they can then choose their juniors, and those eight locations can validate the remaining nine. The borders, we think, might need to be shifted a little bit, uh, but we think there'll be 17 eventually. We've identified those 17 places, but having established the initial eight just with a senior journalist, we'll obviously be looking at the analytics, thinking, do we need to move the boundaries just a little bit? Okay. Uh, But hiring is is important. I mean, there's not many journalists left. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's part of the reason we're paying good salaries, but every journalist dreams of being an editor. Mm-hmm. And this even gets better because it's being an editor with all the support of a head office. But we won't be assigning stories. We won't be telling them what to cover. Uh, their journalists will be like we've been in Queenstown with Crux. They'll be choosing their own stories. Um, so it's like being an editor without any of the pain or responsibility. Um, good pay, uh, good conditions, great standards... But all of the worries about the business side of things and the IT side of things is taken care of remotely. Uh, but there will be locations where, as you mentioned, there may not be a lot of journalists left. So uh, you, you might have to try and persuade some people to actually relocate to areas uh, where they don't actually live, build up their contacts. And... <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't want to go and live in Westport for a year or two? Oh, I would. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't, exactly. wouldn't be a problem. Depends what you're offering. But, you know, that, but it, it's that a does... Point. It's that, a valid point. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. It's not as if you can just offer a few dollars more to someone who might be working in a local media outlet uh, and has the contact uh, book all there. Yeah. I think a lot of them will be migrating from urban areas. Um, journalism's a tough job. Uh, and also the urban centres have become very expensive. Mm. Um, but I think most importantly, journalists reach a point in their career where they they want to do more. You know, they don't want to go into PR and comms. So we're offering a way for them to get more money 
and do their job properly, most of us have regional roots. You know, our families are often from non-urban areas. Um, but I think there's going to be a degree of uh, some journalists holding back to see what our initial output is like. Mm-hmm. So those first eight hires will be very important. They'll become ambassadors. And, of course, because we've perfected this in Queenstown, those eight initial senior journalists will be spending a lot of time with us learning the systems and how we manage our day and how we choose the strong stories, how we manage the Local Government Meetings and Information Act, how we strike the balance between being tough journalists but also being friendly to the community. So we have a template. We've got five years of difficult lessons that we can pass on to those eight and also they get to choose their own juniors. I really like the idea that a senior journalist uh, gets a feel for their patch and then chooses a junior who matches that. We've spoken to the universities and they love the fact that their graduates can find a place in the regions on good money with good standards and good training where they don't have to leave that job to go to the city to earn a decent wage. So, yeah, it's going to be tough recruiting, but I think we'll be okay just because of the pay, the conditions and the integrity of what we're offering. That was Peter Newport, the founder and editor of the online service Crux, based in Queenstown, and the founder of the new startup Regional News Network, a new service to be based in as many as 17 centres around the country. And we also heard there from the Regional News Network's business manager, Tim Martin.